We are in the middle of a series on the book of Ephesians. We actually started um, this series last week. And to give you just a little bit of context to what this whole thing looks like is that after the resurrection of Jesus, this guy, the Apostle Paul, is sent out into basically the entire Roman world in order to travel around and proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus was alive. (laughs) That although he was killed, he was alive and that that changed everything for every one and so he went down he went into all of these different towns and these different cities um, and as people came to believe in the resurrected Jesus they began these different communities which were called churches now eventually Paul winds up in prison and uh, he winds up in prison because when you start preaching a good news that there is a new kingdom on earth that is greater than the current kingdom uh, and that not even death can stop your king, the current kings and people in power oftentimes get really angry about that. And so they imprison Paul, they stick him in prison, and Paul's like, listen, like, I may not be able to travel around anymore, but like, I can't stop and I won't stop proclaiming that Christ is Lord. And so uh, Paul essentially starts to write these letters that are then sent to all of the churches that he had established throughout the Roman world. Now, these letters get circulated to all the different churches, even though some of them were written to a specific context, they still got passed around because they were so good. And some of these letters that were beautifully, masterfully written and thoughtful and um, and, and wonderful, Paul uh, sends them out and they get passed along so much and they get per- preserved so well that, um, that when the church fathers go and say, what writings should we put together? Like, what are the classics? Like, right, have you ever had those classic book of fairy tales? And every single one, there's like the princess and the pea, and there's puss in boots, and there's like, right, you've got all those things. The church fathers came together, and they said, all right, we know that Paul has all of these writings. We know that there are all these other people's writings, but which are the classics? Which are the ones that we want to bind together and say, this is our Christian New Testament? And guided by the Holy Spirit, one of the letters that they choose is, the, the, the letter to the Ephesians or the book of Ephesians. And so that's really how we have our New Testament Bible that we have today. And we are diving in to understand what is it that everyone said was so great about the book of Ephesians? Why is it that out of all of the letters, this is one of the few that get saved and said, listen, this is important, not just for the churches back then, but for the churches now and today. And so in this letter, Paul actually summarizes the whole gospel story, right? And we talked about this last week, that in chapters 1 through 3, Paul's sort of summarizing the good news of Jesus. And then right at the beginning of 4, there's this big word that shows up in Scripture, therefore. And then Paul continues and says, our story. So here's the good news, therefore, our story. This is how it affects every part of our lives because when the gospel brings a new kingdom and a new king, our lives get reshaped to reflect all of that change. Okay, so we're going to jump in today. Um, if you were with us last week, you might remember that we used this particular image to kind of sum up this really long poem that Paul uses um, to talk about uh, what happened and, and, and uh, this long poem to summarize the gospel. If you remember, uh, Paul talked about how um, there was that God blessed us and that God blessed us 
and met every possible longing and desire that we have in Christ. And then Paul continues and he talks about all of these different ways that that blessing is made manifest. That he doesn't bless us um, if we do something good. It's God says, listen, you are blessed because of what Christ did. You are blessed because of Christ. It doesn't matter what you've achieved or haven't achieved, whether you're enough or not enough. You are blessed. And then he sort of starts to articulate what that blessing looks like. He says, listen, you are chosen. You are redeemed. You are, um, you are uh, forgiven. You are adopted, right? He talks about all of these different things. And last week when we went through all of these different ways that we are blessed in Christ, um, we were left with this question at the very end. What would you do if you were confident God was with you? What would you do if you were confident that God was with you and in you and for you? Because that's the good news of what Paul summarizes. Listen, God is with you, he is in you, and he's for you. So, so what would you do? And where we left last week is actually where I want to pick up this week. I want to share with you a story of a church that took this good news of Jesus to heart. And in the face of terrible circumstances, they remembered that in Christ they were blessed in all of these different ways. And so in response to this question, they lived in this incredible way or are living in this incredible way. Okay, so I'm going to share with you an audio clip from a podcast that I was listening to. It's a podcast called A World of Good, and it's actually put out by um, Church of God out of Anderson. If you're not familiar, we are a non-denominational church, but we're a part of a movement called Church of God Anderson. So it's kind of a loose affiliation of churches that kind of say, hey, we're going to hold together um, to the essentials of the faith. We're going to keep talking about all of the other things. But they have a global strategy team that essentially makes sure that the churches around the world are supported and resourced and that they have what they need and that they can contribute um, back and forth, these mutual partnerships. So these two guys that I actually went to college with, they started, they're on this global strategies team, and they actually started this podcast to tell the stories of what is happening globally around the world in the church. And on March 4th, they released an episode that followed Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. They interviewed um, a, a youth pastor of a church there. They were, wanted to talk to the pastor, and the pastor was like, well, I don't, my English isn't quite good enough. Like, can, can me and the youth pastor talk about it? And then the youth pastor sort of be the spokesperson um, for this whole thing. And, and they said, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. What we really want to hear is we want to hear the answer to three questions. We want to hear what is happening in your city, what is the church doing, and how can we pray for you? And I want to share the audio clip of the response. It's about four and a half minutes long, and uh, we've included the, the, uh, a transcript of what's being said because there's some pieces that are a little bit jumbled, and, and hopefully that will help you follow along. So let's go ahead and listen to the response to those questions. Hello, this is the latest update from our church and from all the people who are a part of it. Um, now we know we're hometown. Thanks God, everything is um, everything is calm. We've only had um, 
uh, from five to six explosions uh, when our planes were defending our city from the drones. Uh, our city hasn't been bombed, and uh, thanks to our brave soldiers who are protecting our borders and our neighbor regions that we have, uh, our city is like uh, one big massive provision uh, because people are so uh, gathered together and they're collecting things. We are accepting the runners from other cities. We're accepting the injured soldiers. Uh, now they are in our hospitals and there are going to be more. Our church uh, is um, accepting the runners and uh, the people who left home and they're coming to us. And also our church is helping and our door is open to people who are coming to find protection and uh, who who are afraid to sleep alone and they have no one at their home place. So they can come to someone, they can talk to them, they can help with something and spend time together. Uh, a lot of people from our church are doing different things all around the city. There is a group which was organized by a couple people in our church and they are helping especially um, to mothers, uh, kids. Uh, they're helping in social work. They're helping. They're looking how to help in the hospitals and they're waiting for new injured soldiers to come in to give their hands, to give their uh, time to help, to do whatever is needed there to be done. Um, these seven days we've lived like a um, couple of lives and we are praying, first of all, for the church to stay sober and um, not to sink into fear, into hate, into... Um, all the emotions that are widespread everywhere. And we, we feel everything together in love and hate and sadness and kindness. So for Holy Spirit to divide all these feelings, uh, pray for, um, for the safety of our hometown so our town can be the, um, the place where people can come. So we will not spend time to def for defending ourselves, but we will just accept people and show them love. Um, you can pray against the spiritual war that is going on because it's not only the physical part, the spiritual war uh, against the government and the political leaders of the Russia so they can be defeated. And so that God uh, will just stand between those two countries completely. We've already seen and we've already read about hundreds of miracles which happen with our soldiers just because the church is praying and people are praying all the time. Pray for our youth, for them not to be uh, hateful, for them to share hope, for them to share love. And um, there are some funny stuff, some humor that helps us to get through it. And um, just pray for that not to become something uh, mixed up with anger, uh, but to to stay positive, to stay kind, to stay in love, and pray for all people who've lost their homes, for their lives to be restored as much as they could, and um, pray for all the church leaders around our country, around Russia, for them not to be quiet, for them to speak the truth and for them to be good leaders for their people and um, 
to be God's word defenders and to be defenders in people's hearts and souls and bodies. Uh, we want just to thank everyone for helping and for donating um, to be for us to be able to buy everything we need to provide the people that are staying in church and accepting people with food, with uh, provision, with ever needed equipment. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you, in you, and for you? In the middle of explosions and soldiers guarding over their borders, this church is doing something. They're in the middle of a situation where naturally, like, anger and hatred and fear would just take over. And what they're praying for in the middle of that is a new type of living and a new type of life would continue to emerge. That they would stay kind and that they would stay in love. They're praying for safety, but not so much so that, like, no harm will come to them. And what they're praying for is they're praying for safety so that their city can continue to be a provision and a safe place for the refugees who are running from one place to the next to try to get out of there. It's not about protect my home because I don't want it ruined. It's about protect this, this place so that we can continue to usher people in and then get them to safety. All around this church, um, there's like sounds of bombs that are shouting that power means blowing up everyone who doesn't submit or doesn't do what you want. And yet in the midst of that, what they're essentially doing is like trying to create this, this fairy tale land where everyone sort of uses their hands and their time and their resources where they put themselves at risk in order to serve whoever it is that just comes through the doors, wherever it is they're from. They don't ask questions about their morality or their political affiliation or, well, how long ago did you immigrate from Russia? Like, they're not asking any of those questions. They're sort of just saying, like, hey, uh, how can I help? How can I serve? They're creating this sort of fairy tale land where refugees and the wounded are loved and cared for in this palpable, Christ-like environment. Where even in terrifying circumstances, anyone who walks through the door is still worthy of dignity and love and care. Where the gospel is so visible that I'm certain that if we were in the place with them, watching them do all of these different things, it would be so clear that their rule and reign is of a different king. Everyone else is fighting for control, and this church is sort of continuing to say, like, listen, I'm accountable to somebody else. Like, I am totally accountable to a higher power, namely Jesus. Now, for me, when I hear that story, like, it's incredibly inspiring. It's like, wow, it makes me proud when I hear that, to be a follower of Jesus. And while it's true that we don't live in Ukraine, like I think in my head, if I was in Ukraine, would I be a part of that? Or would I be ducking for cover? Would I be working towards self-preservation? And none of us can really answer like how we would respond if we were in Ukraine, but what we can ask ourselves and what we can reflect on is how are we responding now 
in the situations that we're in? Do we find ourselves gravitating towards self-preservation in whatever the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in? Do we find ourselves sort of saying like, well, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give way to hate and I'm going to give way to anger and I'm going to give way to fear and I'm going to be terrified about all these things and I'm going to protect me? Or do we find ourselves moving and gathering together in order to look at all of the circumstances and sort of say like, it doesn't matter what any of those things are, I'm going to give my allegiance to Jesus first and foremost. In this passage we're going to look at today in the second half of Ephesians 1, Paul is actually praying for the church to live just like that church is saying they're living in Ukraine. He's praying for us to sort of be a people who look at the culture and the powers and the values and the politics and the dynamics that exist in the world and say, listen, all of those things, I see them, but they no longer have power over me because my allegiance, first and foremost, is to Jesus. There's a new reign and there's a new king. And it's not just for me as an individual. I am actually a part of a community. We are a part of a community of people that are sort of working towards and sent out to create these fairy tale lands where everyone is loved, where grace flows abundantly and freely. And we don't need to tuck this lesson away for a day when someday we might be in a war zone. We are already in a war zone. There are things all around us that are happening. And we need to be engaged in these radical fairy tale communities that point to King Jesus as over and above all things. Now here's the deal. Like that's that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm I'm not here at this church just to like see how many people we can gather here on a Sunday morning cuz clearly <sighs> right? I'm not here for that reason. What I'm here for is to create a radical fairy tale resistance movement within our culture that says we will love with abandon. We will surrender our allegiance to King Jesus over and above. We will usher grace and care for whoever it is that walks through that door, but not just this door in the church, our doors at our homes. Or any door that we walk through, we enter with the same grace and love that Christ has bestowed on us. That's what I'm here for. I want to be a part of that. And so the question becomes, like, how is it that you get there? Like, how is it that we become this, this community of people that, that show up on a Sunday? How is it that we become not just a community of people who show up on a Sunday, but a radical movement of fairy tale lands? where love and grace flow freely. How do we get there? What does that look like? Well, what Paul is showing us in this chapter we're going to look at is it starts with a lot of prayer. <laughs> it starts with a lot, a lot of prayer. And so we're going to look at chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 15 to, through 23. So that we can begin to emulate and adopt this way that Paul prays. So that we might be the kind of community that actually reflects this amazingly good news of Jesus. So let's go ahead and look at that now. We're going to start reading in verse 15. Paul says this. He says, For this reason... 
Now, if you don't know why he's saying for what reason, like what are we talking about? Remember, we go back to what we talked about last week. Paul just did the summary of the good news. He talked about how, listen, we are blessed of God in Christ. We have access to everything that our soul and our heart could possibly long for. And what Paul says is for that reason, because of the good news of Jesus, for that reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, here's the thing. This is the context of what's happening with all this. Paul is sort of like he's in the middle of prison, and what he's hearing from all these different places is this good news that everyone else has all of this, the good news about the way that the people are living, the people in these different churches are living, specifically that they have faith and that they have love right? Now, I want to unpack those two words for a second because what Paul heard about these communities, these churches around the, around the Roman world, wasn't that they had faith as in they have really good doctrinal set of beliefs, right? That is not what Paul is encouraged by. It's absolutely not, right? What Paul is talking about when he says faith is he's not saying, hey, I heard you figured out the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism, and way to go, you came out on top with that one. That is not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, I have heard about your faithfulness, about your allegiance and your loyalty in the face of really challenging blows. You are clinging to Jesus as the best thing that you've got going for you. That when stuff gets rough, I have heard over and over and over that you have faith that Jesus is king, that he is still sitting on the throne. And Gosh, that's encouraging. And then Paul also says, it's not just your faith I've heard about, I've heard about your love. I've heard about your love. And again, we've got to clarify this because what Paul isn't impressed by is that they have these amazing special feelings inside of themselves where they causes them to draw little heart pictures around people's names. No, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not, he's not like, wow, your feelings are so good. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, fairy tales don't happen as a result of feeling a certain way. But by loving others like Jesus loved us. See, love primarily is not a feeling, but it's an action. Yes, we as people, as human beings, need to name and tend to our feelings fully. But we have to remember that our feelings are not the most true thing about any situation. God loved us and we then take to action to love others and so what paul is saying is like listen i've heard about your faith your allegiance to jesus and your faithfulness and i've heard about your action your amazing way that you are laying down your life for others just as christ laid down his life for us and so i keep hearing about this and this is why i'm not stopping to give thanks for why i haven't stopped giving thanks for you I remember you always in my prayers. And as Paul continues, he says, I keep asking. I keep asking. Paul gives this quick reminder that praying is not just something you do in the middle of a crisis. Right? What Paul has heard is that things are going really well. And so Paul says, I keep asking. Not because things are sucking so much, because things are so good. Paul's like, listen, 
We don't just pray when stuff is about to hit the fan. Instead, we are praying because stuff is so good, we don't want to stop it. We want to keep throwing fuel on that fire, and so we keep praying. I keep praying. And what Paul is going to reveal to us here is that Paul doesn't actually think that the main point of prayer is to request a change in circumstance. If we only prayed when stuff was bad, then like, of course, we, we should pray for circumstances to change. But, but Paul's getting at that the main point of prayer is actually something so much bigger than that. Paul's saying, listen, I see how well it's going, and so I keep asking, and it continues, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what Paul's praying for. This is really incredible. When Paul prays for the church, he doesn't keep asking for their circumstances to change. In fact, if you look at just Paul's prayers, there's actually no place in Scripture where Paul actually prays for anyone's circumstances to change. That's like, he's like, that, I'm not into that, that's not me, that's not what he does. Now, that's not to say that it's wrong to pray for different circumstances, right? Jesus actually teaches us to pray that uh, how it is in heaven is how it should be on earth. And that is praying for a different change of circumstances. You're saying, listen, in heaven, there's not supposed to be any pain or any sickness or any disease or any hunger. And so, God, we are going to pray that heaven would come to earth, that how it is in heaven will be here on earth, right? Jesus teaches that, but that's not how Paul prays here. It's not that that's wrong. It's just Paul's doing something different here. Paul is praying that God would give them wisdom, and revelation so that whatever the circumstances are that they would be drawn closer to God like think about this for a second what Paul's saying is like hey I'm not going to pray um like Susie's hip is bad and, and I'm not going to pray that Susie's hip gets fixed or um I'm not going to pray that Jack's girlfriend doesn't break up with him and and I'm not going to pray that like um uh I'm not going to pray that like Sam finds a job w what Paul says instead instead is he's like I'm going to pray that that in all of those circumstances the people that are walking through them are drawn closer to God. That God's presence would be enlightened to them. That they would see God in the middle of all they're experiencing. That as they go through this tough thing, they wouldn't conclude, oh my gosh, God is abandoning me. But instead, they would see this as a way to grow. To find new levels of maturity as they see this way to find God in the middle of all of it and Pull closer to him. And guys, that's certainly what the church leaders in Ukraine are asking us to do as we pray for them. It's sort of like what they're saying is like, listen, as Russia gets closer and closer and closer to our town, and as the bombs begin to drop more, will you just pray that we don't give way to fear? Would you pray that our hearts don't scream God has abandoned us? Would you just pray that through this new, time, new way to pray that if or when that happens, that we would lean into trusting God in this new way, in a way that we've never trusted God before, that we're trusting that God will show up in this new set of circumstances and we would just lean in and experience even more richly and more fullness, with more, greater fullness the presence of God with us. 
And so in that prayer, Paul actually prays for three specific things. We're going to continue in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Well, there's three things that Paul is asking for here. He's asking that in his prayer that we might be able to know or to see hope, inheritance, and power. And we're going to unpack those three things. We're going to look at them. So the first one is hope. The eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. Um, I've shared this before. Um, you know I'm a pastor. Not everyone knows that I'm a pastor, though. In fact, when I go out into the community, uh, I do a lot of like work with different community leaders and, and, and schools and stuff like that. When I go out there, um, I typically bury the lead. <laughs> I don't tell people that I'm a pastor. In fact, it takes several questions for them to get me to reveal that I am a pastor. Uh, it's sort of typically like, hey, what do you do? And I say, oh, community development, life transformation, like, you know, whatever. Uh, oh, really? Where, where do you work? Oh, I work at a church. Oh, you know, they assume I'm a secretary or something. You know, the woman thing, right? It must be a secretary. Uh, and then they say, oh, what do you do there? And then like, okay, fine, I'm a pastor, like that. Here's the thing. I, I don't bury the lead because I'm ashamed of Jesus. That's not it at all. I, I bury the lead um, because sometimes I am ashamed of what people have done in the name of Jesus. I, 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 think, that, uh, I think that too often in the name of Jesus, people highlight and posture themselves on really firm positions um, and stake their sort of their thing in the sand and say, this is what it means to be a Christian. Uh, this is the morality that it means to be a Christian. This is the political position that is the most important posture that a Christian should take. And that kind of makes me sick. And because in reality, I believe that the most important posture a Christian takes on is the posture of hope. It's this posture that says, hey, more than anything else, we believe that because of Jesus, whatever the present circumstances are, they don't determine the end. That your life may suck and the world may be a horrible place, um, but as a Christian, we have hope that dead things don't stay dead. That as a Christian, we look at the world and we look at our own life and we say, uh, wow, that stinks, but I believe in a God who brings life out of death because of Jesus. Because Jesus bore the pain and the consequences for all of the stupid and selfish things that have happened in the world. He bore them on the cross and he reverses all of those things into life. And so whatever those circumstances are, as Christians, we can see through to hope. We can see that God is bringing new life. That that is the most important posture that we as a Christian hold. And, and that's not an easy thing to, to have as we walk through life and we see wars 
and we watch the news and we see unjust laws being instituted and as we uh, experience relationships falling apart and the abuse of people. It's not an easy thing to walk through and see all of that and still say what was intended for evil, what looks bleak, what looks like the end, what looks like death, because of Jesus, is only the beginning. That all of those things can be brought to life again. And that's the hope that Paul is praying. I pray that you see that. I pray that you see that in a new way, that whatever the circumstances are, you continue to hold on and are enlightened to the hope to which we have been called to. I mean, guys, take a second and think about the circumstances that you're walking through right now. Whatever they are. I, I don't know. I don't know all of them. 2,000 years ago, Paul prayed for our church, for you, as members, as the eternal members of the body of Christ, that your eyes would have hope, that you would remember, like, listen, dead things don't stay dead. There's resurrection and there's redemption and there is a whole different story that is being brought to fruition in the midst of whatever it is you're sitting in the middle of. Paul prayed that for us. And we're being called to pray that for each other and to pray that for the followers of Jesus around the world. And then Paul says this other thing, I'm praying for this hope, but, but the other thing that I'm praying for is that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I'm praying that you might know about this inheritance. Now, at first reading, sometimes what we read is we think inheritance, and we're like, oh, that's talking about heaven. That's talking about, hey, listen, um, what it's saying is that when you die, you get something. That's an inheritance. Or when somebody else dies, then you get something. That's an inheritance. So when we die, then we get heaven. It's kind of like a reverse inheritance. But that's actually backwards. If it was saying that, Paul would have said something like the, that you may know the riches of your glorious inheritance in heaven but that's not what paul says like if you look at it again what he says is the riches of his god's the riches of god's glorious inheritance in his holy people this is actually an incredible thing right in order for an inheritance to happen somebody has to die who died jesus jesus died and who receives the inheritance not us god what is the inheritance us Guys, think about this. This is a little section. What Paul is praying is that you would know how treasured you are. That you would know how loved you are. That you are the inheritance. That Jesus died so God gets you. <laughs> that's, how, that's how loved you are. It doesn't matter how much you've screwed up. It doesn't matter any of those things. God looks at you and he says, that's my treasured possession. That's my chosen people. This is actually language that Paul is pulling from the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, like um, Moses is talking to God and he says these specific things to him. He, a God, a God speaks to Moses and he calls Israel the people of his divine inheritance. That God chose them out of all the people to be his holy people, to be his treasured possession. 
And what that means isn't that like God likes the Israelites better than everybody else. Like that's not the point. We've missed the point if we think that. What the point was is that in order to bring rescue and redemption to the whole earth, God chose that specific family to be the witness, to spread the word, to be blessed so that they could be a blessing. Now, if we think back and we're familiar with the Old Testament, um, we know Israel didn't do such a good job. Like, they kind of sucked at it, actually, which is part of the reason why Jesus had to come in and, like, (laughs) rescue them, too, because they didn't do it. They failed the covenant. They failed to live up to what it was they were. And so Jesus comes and he becomes the perfect Israel, right? He becomes the king in the line of David. And God blesses Jesus so that Jesus can then, so the whole world can then be blessed. And through Jesus, this new family is created, which we're going to get into later. Paul talks a lot about the new family of God but that we are this new holy people in Jesus. And what Paul is saying is I'm praying that you will see how treasured you are, how special you are in the eyes of God, that you will wake up to how much God loves you, that you would wake up to the privilege and the challenge and the calling of being a witness and being the people that belong to God as his inheritance. Now think back again to whatever circumstances you're in the middle of, whatever that stuff is. You're God's inheritance, right in the middle of whatever that is. You're you're the thing that God can't wait to get, that he already has, but he wants more of you. Whatever it is that you're in the middle of, God is just like, ah, I... I'd let my son die just to receive you. The last thing that Paul prays for is for um, the, the church to know the incomparable great power that is available for us who believe. Now, Paul believes that as members of Christ's family, we have access to power. Now, in our context, it sounds really weird to talk about, like, having access to power because typically, like, in our culture, power has gotten so corrupt that it just feels like a negative thing. Like, we don't want power. Like, power is not positive. It's the abuse of power. We get, like, suspicious of power. Like, all of these things. And then there's, of course, Disney and Aladdin where, like, we think, oh, ultimate cosmic power. Bitty little space, right? So we, we just have these ideas of what power is that are not at all what, what Paul is necessarily talking about. Paul is saying that we who believe have power, but then he qualifies exactly what that means. See, there are even preachers and teachers within the realm of Christianity, uh, within, within, I shouldn't say Christianity, I should say churchiology, um, that teach this idea about power, and what they say is that, like, hey, listen, you have power in Christ, and Christ wants to underwrite your dreams. Like, whatever it is you want, whatever it is you wish for, like, God is right there with you, and whatever you touch is going to turn to gold, and whatever foot you place your land on, that land is going to be given to you, right? Like, God wants to underwrite your dreams. He's going to give you a great life and success and money. And for some people, that actually happens, and they're like, this is the best gospel in the world, right? Uh, and then there's all the other people that we look around the world globally, and we say, well, what about them? <laughs> it, uh, 
There's lots of believers all around the world, and even in our hometown, that that is not their story. And so what does that mean? Did they not believe hard enough? Did they, like, not get the power that everybody else got? Like, like how does this work? And then what happens to those people is typically they're like, well, this didn't work, and so I'm going to walk away from the whole shebang. And so what Paul does is when he talks about this power that is for us who believe, Paul qualifies what kind of power he's talking about. It's not just any type of worldly power where you just get to do whatever you want. That's not what he's talking about. He continues in this passage and he says, that power, the power that we get who we be- when we believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. What Paul is saying is that this power that is ours in Christ, it's not a power that sort of like drops bombs on people and destroys people's life. It's actually so much greater than that. It's, it's the complete opposite of that. It's, it's, it's this power that transforms death into resurrected life. And Paul says, look, this power is bigger than anything that is in the present age or in the age to come. And when Paul is talking about that, when he talks about the present age, Paul is referring to the world that we live in right now, this world that's filled with sin and death and selfishness. And the age to come is this future where Jesus reigns in all of his fullness. And what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, all this power comes crashing into the present age, into our world right now, this world of sin and death. And Jesus absorbs all of it into himself on the cross. And that's the power that we have. It isn't a power to do whatever it is we want. It isn't a power that sort of says, like, all my dreams will come true because Christ is with me, right? I hate when uh, Philippians uh, 4.13, I had to do the song in my head, uh, always gets misconstrued. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to become the CEO of this company, and I'm going to become a millionaire, and I'm going to whatever. Like, that is not at all what they're talking about is resurrection power, which is disappointing to somebody who wants to be a millionaire, but is so much more incredible, so much stronger than anything that has to do with that, right? It isn't a power to underwrite our dreams, but to take the most sinful and selfish human being and turn them into something life-giving, literally and spiritually and physically and emotionally to see them completely transformed. It's this power that says that you may experience a terrible physical tragedy. You may face off with the enemy. But that's not the end. The present state of your life does not determine the end purpose. You have the power in Christ to turn dead moments into something good. And this is Paul's prayer for all of us, that we would never underestimate the power that we have. And so again, think for a second, whatever circumstances you, are, you brought in to this place today, whatever it is you're facing, 2,000 years ago, Paul was praying for you. He was saying, listen, I want you to know the hope. 
I want you to know that you are the inheritance. And I want you to know that in Christ, there is an upside down power that is in you. Guys, I think this changes everything. I think that this is, is what changes our ability to be in the middle of whatever circumstances we're in and instead of giving way to fear and to hatred and to anger and instead saying, no, 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 I'm going to open my doors to love. I'm going to pour out this grace. We're going to create sort of this crazy fairy tale land, <laughs> this radical resistance movement where we say, I, I, I don't care about the politics and I don't care about the cultural value system. We are going to have Jesus be our king. We're going to submit all allegiance to him. And as a community of people, we're going to do that together. We're going to pray for one another in this space. Now, what I want to do right now is I don't know the circumstances or the situation that you find yourself in. But I do know that we are called to do the same thing that Paul did, to pray for one another, to pray that we might have eyes that see hope, eyes to see that we are God's inheritance, and to recognize the power that is in us through Christ. And so I want to pray for all of you in this moment that you would see that also, that you would have that. And I'm encouraging us that we wouldn't stop praying for one another either, that we would continuously pray for each other in the same way that Paul has prayed for us. Will you pray with me now? Father God, we want to come before you um, because we know that in you there is good news. In you, dead things don't stay dead. In you, there is life and there is resurrection. And we're not naive to the things that are going on around us. We're very much aware. And yet we long to draw close to you. In the middle of these situations, what we want more than anything is to know you. What we want more than anything is for you to be present in this space and in our lives. For us to be able to see you in all of those different places. And so, Father God, I ask that as we travel from this place, as we enter into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so forth and so on, that we would know the hope that you've called us to that we would know that we are the inheritance, that, that we would know the power that we have in Christ. Father God, I don't know the situations, but you do. And so we ask that you would use whatever was meant for evil and transform it for good. We pray all these things in your name.